Most people I know claim to have an aversion to politics, but in reality, unless you live on a deserted island, you will participate in politics your entire life. In your marriage, in your friendships, at work, in your church, and even, if it happened to be in one, a gang. Gangs have politics. The word politics is actually neutral, as neutral as money is. It's neither good or evil. Politics are good or can be evil depending on how they're used, how they're handled. Politics defined simply as this, the process of making decisions applying to all members of a group. Simple definition. We live amongst politics every day of our lives. If you carpool today and somebody had to decide who was going to drive, you participated in politics. If there was a fuss over who took the first shower this morning before service, and we hope you took at least eight, no. I'm a Saturday night shower guy, so are some of you. But if you chose who got to go first in anything amongst a group, politics was involved. If your family is going to decide where you're going to go together for lunch, then politics is going to be involved. Because by definition, any time more than one person is involved in doing something or not doing something, politics is involved. What the majority of us have an aversion to is ugly politics. Amen? And not ugly because we didn't get our way. But ugly maybe because the methods employed for making that decision were suspect. They were either unfair or unjust and sometimes downright mean and selfish. Over the last two weeks, I have had my fill of ugly, ugly politics. Did you know, not just in American law, but in international law, actually in the UN Bill of Rights, a man or a woman across the globe is deemed innocent until proven guilty. That principle is, I think, the only foundation any law can be based on where justice is served and the dignity of a human being is maintained. When an assumed breach of that law has occurred, you start there with the presumption of innocence. And last week, I would have thought in a room full of people whose background is law, whose degrees mostly are law, that the principle of innocent until proven guilty would have been the foundation for the investigation all of us had an opportunity to see. And yet I have never seen the system of justice so disregarded and one man so disparaged and so disgraced in the midst of unproven innuendos and uncorroborated testimony. All of which not only did a particular individual have to endure, but his family and his church and even his nation had to do it along with him. And all because one party in power wanted their way or else. It was crazy. This man in question for decades had nothing short than a stellar reputation. He was a man of deep religious convictions, of deep loyalty to the nation that he loves. His record as a leader of that nation is stellar. He is a family man extraordinaire, particularly known for being good to his mom. He's known for being diligent in any assignment he's been given in his vocation. His reputation, even in his neighborhood, is warm and respected. And then out of nowhere... Ugly politics were employed to destroy his good name. And for days it looked like it, it would have its way. Those in power who were fearful of this man's success because their downfall, they assumed, would mean 
power as they knew it would be taken from them, sought to destroy this man when shortly before his life was nothing but to be praised. And thanks to our modern forms of communication, every single one of you in this room had opportunity to watch it unfold. An impassioned, all-out search was launched to find anything and everything incriminating they could dig up for at least a time. And they found nothing. Accusations, yes, but evidence to back up those accusations, no. And the conclusion has to be, for the moment at least, the accusations were false. Now, you may have been exposed to the following video before, but I thought it might be necessary as your minister to have us all see what happens when underhanded, unethical, ungraced politics leads. Watch with me. Early in the morning, Jesus was taken from Caiaphas' house to the governor's palace. The Jewish authorities did not go inside the palace, for they wanted to keep themselves ritually clean in order to be able to eat the Passover meal. So Pilate went outside to them and asked, What do you accuse this man of? We would not have brought him to you if he had not committed a crime. Then you yourselves take him and try him according to your own law. We are not allowed to put anyone to death. This happened in order to make come true what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he would die. Pilate went back into the palace and called Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Does this question come from you? Or have others told you about me? Do you think I'm a Jew? It was your own people and the chief priests who handed you over to me. What have you done? My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. No. My kingdom does not belong here. Are you a king, then? You say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose, to speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth listens to me. And what is truth? Then Pilate went back outside to the people and said to them, I cannot find any reason to condemn him, but... According to the custom you have, I always set free a prisoner for you during the Passover. Do you want me to set free for you 
the king of the Jews? They answered him with a shout. Barabbas was abandoned. took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers made a crown out of thorny branches and put it on his head. Then they put a purple robe on him and came to him and said, Long live the king of the Jews. And they went up and slapped him. Pilate went back out once more and said to the crowd, Look, I will bring him out here to you to let you see that I cannot find any reason to condemn him. Look, here is the man. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him then and crucify him. I find no reason to condemn him. We have a law that says he ought to die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back into the palace and asked Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus did not answer. He will not speak to me. Remember, I have the authority to set you free and also to have you crucified. You have authority over me only because it was given to you by God. So the man who handed me over to you is guilty of a worse sin. When Pilate heard this, he tried to find a way to set Jesus free. If you set him free, that means you are not the emperor's friend. Anyone who claims to be a king is a rebel against the emperor.
heard these words, he took Jesus outside and sat down on the judge's seat in the place called the Stone Pavement. In Hebrew, the name is Gabbatha. noon of the day before the Passover. Pilate said to the people, Here is your king. Do you want me to crucify your king? The only king we have is the emperor. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Would you bow with me, Father? We are a people who at times will attempt to get anything we want by any means that we want and at any price. We come this morning, all of us confessing, we can be so stubborn. Trying to make our own truth rather than trusting yours. Please forgive us and please help us. We've heard the story of your son's trial and sentencing so often that rarely does it strike a nerve with us. But events in our own government this last week has given us a sense of how ugly political power can be. We hate the price that your son had to pay for our ugliness, for our sin. We hate that it had to be so high, but we are thrilled he paid it. Father, not just us, but the Kerrville Foursquare Church joins us in prayer and joins us in celebration thanking you for the sacrifice that you made. And we want to say we are sorry for being a less than powerful witness to your grace and power at times because of our divisions and our suspicions of one another. Please forgive us and empower us to celebrate what we have in common over what we don't. Thank you for suffering for us temporarily what we needed and deserved that we might reign with you forever. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. If my opening remarks <laughs> had you thinking, sportsman needs another vacation. Getting a little bit political here. It was for a purpose. My intention wasn't so much to arouse, however, emotions for anything political, but to, to have you step back into something that is at its core biblical and the foundation of what we believe. If you thought I was referring to Judge Kavanaugh's confirmation at the Supreme Court, I was in part. But regardless of whether he is indeed innocent or guilty of the allegations brought against him, how they were brought, 
And when they were brought in that confirmation process, in my humble opinion, was a travesty of justice. And even those who disagree, even those of a different political party, I don't think would agree that their children or their mates or they themselves should have been treated like that, ever. Judge Kavanaugh by no means is, is sinless. He's not. He admitted that openly. But by the simple principle of innocent until proven guilty, he remains innocent. Again, my intention is not to try to raise emotions politically as much as they are biblically. You see, I see a few similarities to the trials of Jesus and Judge Kavanaugh. I'm going to point those out quickly and we'll be done. Besides the parallels outlined in my opening remarks, I want to note that both trials are equally a matter of historical record. That's huge. Jesus being unjustly tried 2,000 years ago and Kavanaugh being unjustly tried are both undeniable, equally historical events. They happened. Both of them had eyewitnesses. Both of them involved real people. Both of them occurred in real time. <laughs> These aren't somebody's contrived stories for the purpose of literature or stage or film. They're not even reality show. They're reality. And I think sometimes as a church, even for those of you here who are not a Christian and you're considering whether the claims of Christ ought to be believed and followed, hear that story of Jesus almost as fantasy. Almost as something contrived. It's not. It's history. But where that trial of Jesus and the trial of Kavanaugh was uniquely different, I see it in a couple of ways. One is this. There's one fella who claims he's telling the truth. But then there's another fellow who claims he is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a little bit different. One says, I'm telling you the truth, I promise. And one says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. I promise. And there's no other way to God except through me. One is taking his rightful place in the highest court in America. The other has taken his rightful place on the highest throne in heaven. Jesus is a part of the highest court in the universe. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20. And God, having raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, to be honest, Judge Kavanaugh's place on this court may not ever directly impact anybody in this room. Maybe not. But Jesus' place in his court, I promise you, can impact your life every single day. You see, John, Jesus' best friend, John the fisherman, John the son of thunder, John the apostle of Jesus, did his best to write down an eyewitness account of this man Jesus' journey to his high court. And just like I shared with you earlier about some of the events surrounding my going to Mount Rushmore, John's trying to give us an eyewitness account of some events of him going to the cross. John's saying, I was there. I was either close by or I saw firsthand all the events that I'm writing about. And they have stood the test of time, which is what amazes me, by cynics and doubters all over the globe for two millennia. And yet they rank up with historical facts alongside any historical fact you hold dear. And it fascinates me <laughs> that today, October the 14th, we're talking about some dude's trial 2,000 years ago. Isn't that nuts? Because it's so significant to you. This guy lived in Galilee, had brothers and sisters, worked as a laborer in his dad's carpenter's shop. 
We're talking about his trial 2,000 years later. I don't know how much reality of, of Kavanaugh's innocence or guilt is going to matter to your life, but this Jesus' innocence or guilt, it matters. Because he is either the son of the living God and worthy of all of us saying, you are Lord, or, as C.S. Lewis points out, he is not just a lunatic, he's a liar. Because he himself claimed to be the son of God. And he will not allow us to take any middle ground on this. Because it was Jesus who inspired his followers later to say this. There is salvation in no one else under no other name but Jesus. Can anyone be saved? That's huge. And it came from the lips of a man who suffered the trial you just witnessed a few moments ago. And who will suffer a cross that we'll talk about next week. Pilate asked a question that I'm going to leave us with this morning. What shall I do then with Jesus who's called the Messiah? He insists you do something. And as I see it, like Pilate, you've got two options. The first one is reject him. And a lot of people, as Colin read a few moments ago, will do that. There is a broad, wide road that leads to destruction, and many will choose that path. Many will choose to say, thanks, but no thanks. Are you kidding me? God coming down and putting on flesh, really? Living a sinless life in this world? Dying? On a cross for my sins? Nah, too bizarre. I pass. And you know what? That's understandable. Or you can accept him and follow him. And choose to listen to this man's voice over the hundreds of other voices that are going to try to vie for your allegiance in this world. To me, that's much more plausible. But both are understandable. Pilate could have chosen to follow. <laughs> he heard a lot of voices that day, and get this, including his wife's. Mark tells us a side detail John doesn't include here, but his wife sends a message and interrupts a trial, even in today's society. That would be huge. That a wife would send a message to her husband she wanted read while that trial's going on. It's because she had had this incredible dream about this prisoner he was about to try, and she said, you need to get as far away from that trial as possible. But he didn't listen. He didn't listen to his wife's angst, and he certainly didn't listen to the answers of Jesus. I have a kingdom not of this world, Jesus said. And it testifies to what is truth. That's why I came. And you saw the smirk. What's truth? And Jesus responds to that. Instead of debating a topic with him, he leaves to get on a cross for him. And for you, and for me, which is the embodiment, I think, of the greatest truth of all. Jesus said so. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And he did that for us. I don't know if you think there is a greater truth, but I can't think of one. But let me ask, what is the truth that you're living under that's so much greater than that one? Who in your life is willing to love you like that? For me, it's that truth and others that I'm trying my best to navigate this world with and I need to say again, if I haven't said it recently enough, I'm a satisfied customer. I love how he's leading me. I love where he's leading. I don't like it all the time, but I love where he's taking me. Who are you looking to for truth then if it's not him? Where are you receiving truth from? A teenager that you know? Who can't even drive yet? And you're choosing that truth over a savior who can create a DNA strand? Really? What's the source of your truth? How are you determining what matters in this world and in your life? Is it your next-door neighbor whose stuff 
causes you to believe you have nothing or the Christ whose sacrifice causes you to believe you have everything? Are you looking for the truth from a man who wants to get you in his bed for the night? Are you looking for the truth from a Christ who wants you in his heaven forever? Maybe you're vacillating like Pilate because the crowd that you run with has written Jesus off and you can't seem to see him as a viable option for truth in life either. I get that because the crowd can be incredibly influential. This last GLS that we attended in August and our staff went to, the Global Leadership Summit in Fredericksburg, I had a chance to, um, to see something on video that maybe some of you saw during the show that was airing, Would You Fall For That? Anybody seen that show? Would You Fall For That? Pretty cool show. It was a hidden camera show that would run social experiments to see how people would respond when they were unwittingly participants in those experiments. Several would fall into the category of tests of conformity. And in them, they would observe how people would or would not respond to peer pressure. Now, most of us, I know, would like to think of ourselves as nonconformists. But in reality, when we are the only person who doesn't see something a certain way, or we're the only person who doesn't want to behave a certain way, we tend to stand with the crowd. Sorry. Research proves it. <laughs> the test that we saw was the famous elevator test. You and your family can try this on your own. I think it would be a kick to do on a vacation. The participant had no idea what was going on. He climbed on the elevator and did what he normally would do. And he, would, he faced where the door is and had his back to where the wall was. And then they would have actors come in on the elevator or already be there, but on a certain cue, all the actors would turn around and face the back wall, leaving him facing the door. And 90% of the time, slowly, he would turn and face the wall with them. 90% of the time. And he never raised a question. He just quietly conformed to the group's mentality. Our culture, just as in Jesus' culture for the most part, is facing one direction. That's the text that was read for us earlier this morning by Colin. It's, it's choosing one path, and there's an entirely different path. It's a smaller one. It's a less traveled one, and it actually is going in a different direction most of the time. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you to follow me down that path. All right? I know sometimes it's going to mean a small minority and maybe even a minority of one, but you choose me. Choose me. Choose me as the influencer of your life. Choose me as the Lord, the King. Whatever words you want to use as the sovereign over how you make every decision. And I'm telling you, I choose the one who dies for people who don't deserve it. I choose the one who's willing to be submitted to public lies and humiliation and beatings here on earth so that I can enjoy the presence of incredible life with God in heaven. I want to be a leader like Jesus, not like Pilate. If leaders can be a beer, Pilate was a light beer. He was a lightweight. He knew Jesus was innocent. We saw it on the film. He allowed the crowd facing the wrong direction to sway him and turn with him. Four times he tries to free Jesus, and four times the crowd sways him back. And the question this morning, will you? Will you? You're going to have at least one Pilate moment this week. Every single one of us. The voices of expedience and the voices of power and the voice of the crowd and the voice maybe of a mate are going to be heard. But the question is, will you hear the soft but firm voice of Jesus? That's the question.
The only power over me that you have, he told Pilate, when he said, I have the power to either see you set free or the power to crucify you. He says, no, no, no. The only power you have over me is the power given to you by my God. I want to serve someone who knows that God. I admire this man who never pled, who never pressured. He just stated the truth. And Pilate thought he could avoid making a choice. And he washed his hands of Jesus and climbed on a fence and he sat down. Here's the problem. No choice is a choice. Indifference ultimately means that you decide to attempt life as your own king, always. In not making a choice to invite Jesus to stay, Pilate actually sent him away. And I just want to say as we close, will you? And I want to be a little political for the moment. I want to do my best to try to persuade you. If I haven't been clear so far, would you please consider the facts of this Jesus? And would you make him king and lord of your life? You're surrounded by satisfied customers. I'm not the only one. And we don't mind being a little political to try and convince you you need to get in while the getting's good. Because there's going to come a day when you won't have a choice. Your unchoice, your indecision will be your decision. Because there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But only those who have chosen to do so, not been told that that's true, will spend eternity with God. We want you there. There is a Redeemer. Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God. The Messiah. Holy, Holy One. We're going to stand and sing that song here in just a few moments. But if you'd like to respond and say, count me in on that, if you haven't already, now's the time. Come find me. And we'll enable, we'll, we'll see you become a, a follower of Jesus today. We'll enable you to walk through that process. It's, it's just short. We ask you, do you really believe that he's the Christ? Do you believe that he died for you? Do you believe he was raised for you? Yes? Great. Come on, we're going to bury you. And we'll baptize you back here in this water that's just behind me. I think it's warm. Most of the time it is. And we'll put your sins, not just symbolically, but realistically, in connection with the cross of Christ. And His blood will cleanse you from every one of those sins. And we will raise you to walk in a power to live this life that Jesus has outlined and, and, and is leading us into. And if you want in on some of that, come find me. And I want to say this. If you've written yourself off as a person who's unworthy to follow such a king, he went to a trial and a cross so that you could. Please take advantage of that while we stand and while we sing.